If you look at the title this morning, I'm going to speak a little bit about spiritual anemia. And we started off in verse 30. We'll come back to that passage here. Um, without going too much into the statistics, if you begin to go and look at the current state of the church and how uh, it has been varying as of recent and over time, one of the problems that we do have within the church is spiritual anemia. Now, you may be saying, what exactly is anemia? This has been a little bit on my mind. One of my coworkers uh, is dealing with anemia. Uh, and before it was known what that was to that person and to us, we knew something was wrong. Uh, the person has just been getting sicker and sicker and sicker uh, to the point where they actually uh, are very weak, appeared very weak. Uh, and so we began to think a little bit about that weakness because here's what's interesting. Um, as much as I see that spiritual, or I mean that physical weakness in that person, they're also not a Christian. And so there's application. What exactly is anemia? Well, it's a blood disorder uh, for anybody who's here. Uh, literally, it means no blood. And the definition for anemia is when the blood's red corpuscles are reduced in number or deficient in hemoglobin. But basically what that means is, is um, the blood is not being utilized as it should. Now, I'm not going to go back and make a lot of application on that, but it is interesting. This isn't in your notes. If you do go back to uh, Leviticus, um, uh, Leviticus 17.11, I believe, uh, it states that the life is in the blood. And they've known that from the very beginning. So there's an importance within, within blood. Physically, if you have an issue with blood, you have things like paleness, things like shortness of breath, you have uh, palpitations of the heart, you have fatigue, you have weakness. And that's really actually one of the synonyms, synonyms for anemia is weakness. Now again, spiritually, we're going to spend a little bit of time making com a comparison here, but Spiritually, when there's an issue with uh, the blood being in contact or remaining in contact with the blood of Christ, again, there is a serious, serious issue. And here's what's really sad, and I'm, I'm thinking about this individual. I know they don't watch my sermons, obviously, online. As I have watched that person over the last five to six months, everyone could tell that they were sick. Uh, but the thing was, they didn't know what was wrong. Um, and it's maybe just one of the symptoms they had, but uh, they knew there was a problem, but they didn't know what it was, and they didn't know how to fix it. I think we're going to notice that's quite often true when we begin to talk about this at a spiritual level. Um, you know, we, we, we worry about and we pray for people when they are physically sick, and yet how much more important is it when someone is spiritually sick that they also are, are um, prayed for for healing? I don't think there's anything worse than a person who is, who is spiritually weak. And when we begin to go through the Scriptures, I'm going to give you just a quick couple of verses here. Having those who are spiritually weak is not a new thing, even as you begin to look at the Scriptures. Let me give you just a few. So we'll go over to uh, Romans 15.1, and then I'm going to go to 14.1. But even within the church there in Rome, we had weak members. Listen to Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, I do have to say, in this case, what he's talking about in context are those who are dealing with scruples and or matters of conscience, 
But the fact is, is there were, there were weak brethren there, okay? So regarding this issue of scruples and matters of conscience, you had weak brethren. Romans 14.1, he says, Him that is weak, now again in context, talking about scruples, matters of conscience, He that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. You had those at Rome who were considered weak members, and we could look at a few other passages there, but they weren't the only congregation. And we could go over and talk about Corinth. Now, John actually read from 1 Corinthians 11.30. Corinth had a number of problems. They had all kinds of problems, and they had weak brethren. They had preacher followers. They had disputes over the, the miraculous gifts and so on. And in 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now you could go back and look at a commentary on this passage, and there's really two primary thoughts. Uh, I would boil it down in this to stop anybody from arguing over what he's talking about here. These guys are spiritually sick. There is no doubt that that is what Paul is talking about. There is a spiritual sickness taking place uh, amongst those in Corinth for some of their members, and so they have some weak members there, and we could talk a lot about the problems in Corinth. Thessalonica had a lot of problems, okay? They had problems also with weak brethren. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now, here in context you see that word weak, but the other things he mentions prior to that show that there were a number of issues even with the brethren there in Thessalonica. They had weak brethren. Okay. As a matter of fact, we can continue to go through a lot of congregations and look at the fact that there were weak brethren uh, within the congregations. Let me give you another one here for uh, Laodicea. Most of you are very familiar with the church there in Laodicea. And notice what we find in Revelation 3.16. I'll read down to verse 19. Because here's what's really said. This, this is a congregation of, of really sick brethren who don't even know that they're sick. And it made me think of, again about my coworker who for a long time knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what it was, right? Sick, but didn't know it. Revelation 3.16, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Notice this very closely. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Let me pause for a second. They're extremely sick. Sick, weak brethren right here in a number of areas, and they don't even realize it. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This is a congregation that had some weak brethren in it. So again, as we begin to talk about spiritually weak, spiritually sick brethren within the church, we find, we find it with individuals within the church, and we even find really entire congregations being called out. Now, there's a number of ways that the Bible talks about those who are weak Christians. Let me point out part of the problem, and this kind of get to the root of it, in Matthew 6, 24. Notice what Jesus says. And ask yourself of this right now. If you know anybody who is spiritually sick, or if you're wondering if you are spiritually sick, focus very closely on what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. I think for anybody, and I don't see how this can be wrong, for anybody who is spiritually sick, for anyone who is spiritually weak, I think a common trait is that they are not 100% devoted to God. If that wasn't the truth, they wouldn't be spiritually weak. They would be those who are strong. And we'll look at a couple of passages here in a minute. There are those described within the church who are strong. But for those that are weak, I think that, is a, that has to be a common trait. They're not 100% devoted to God. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 5.7. Galatia had a problem with weak brethren. He asks this question. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? So they were, they were strong. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Well, people who are spiritually weak, they're no longer running the race faithfully. Right? He asks them, you were doing so well, but now you've been hindered. They're not obeying truth. And that's part of the problem for those most time who are spiritually weak. There could be some who are living a very faithful life uh, in all of their required actions, worship and how they treat people and so forth, and yet be extremely weak in, let's say, the area of faith. But for the majority of time, and really in both cases, when somebody is spiritually weak or if they are spiritually sick, the point is, is they have lost focus. And that's what Paul's pointing out to the Galatians. You were doing so well, but now you're not. Who did hinder you? They've lost focus. Listen to Colossians 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 and 2. I think you see the exact same thing. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek... Let me stop. He's saying focus. Right? We find people who are not focused, and Paul says, who did hinder you? Here we have Paul saying, you need to focus on this. If ye then be risen with Christ, focus or seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. People who are spiritually weak, people who are spiritually um, um, struggling, they are not striving for spiritual things. And that's why Paul here says that as Christians, we are to focus or seek those things above. The spiritually weak, the struggling, they're not doing that for could be a number of reasons. Quite often it is because they're focusing on worldly things. Spiritual anemia and also the lack of spiritual growth are oftentimes connected. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul gives us, and I already told you, Corinth had a number of problems. They had... They had weak brethren within the congregation. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but, uh, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. They should be, but they're not. He says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you net carnal? Are, you, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Yeah, they had some weak brethren. They had a number of problems within the congregation. But one of the things he's pointing out is, is they're spiritually weak and they've not been growing. 
Okay, now that is usually the sign of, of when somebody is spiritually weak or if they are spiritually struggling, uh, they're not growing. Let's talk about some symptoms of spiritual anemia or spiritual sickness. People who are spiritually anemic, people who are spiritually sick, people who are struggling uh, within their walk or not running their race, as Paul puts it, oftentimes are weak in their resistance. Okay, Listen to James 4, 7. And I'm not, I'm not going to go back and focus a lot on what they are struggling in resistance. Their sin, it's going to vary from person to person. Uh, but there are some big ones out there that we all know what they are. It could be, it could be uh, faithfulness in attending. It could be um, sexual sin. It could be all kinds of problems. James 4, 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many times what we find is those who are spiritually weak, they are not doing this. They're not resisting the devil. That's one of the outward signs that we see that they are spiritually sick. It goes back to the person that I've been working with. So for six months, everybody's been talking about what is going on. They, they look so unhealthy. And then you go ask and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm sick, but nobody knows what's going on. Well, the outward oftentimes tells us what is what is a person's state? And when people are not resisting, when people are involved in things clearly that contradict the will of God on a regular basis, we can see that they're not resisting the devil. They're not spiritually healthy. Again, one of the things that, that they struggle with is resisting temptation. Listen to Ephesians 6.10. Remember I told you within the church we find there are people who are strong and there are those who are weak. Sometimes this comes with maturity. Sometimes it's not. Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That needs to be done for those who are both spiritually mature and spiritually immature. The problem is, is those of us who maybe are more spiritually mature, we oftentimes can see that we're dealing with a spiritual illness or that we're not, we're not doing well, that we're struggling to some regard. Whereas those who are maybe newer in the faith, they don't see it. We'll touch on that too. Ephesians 6.16, Paul tells the church there again, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's how they're resisting temptation. They already are prepared. They're already warned. They're looking out for it. Okay. Now, it's not just physical temptations. I think the root of the problem in many of these cases is people in this situation cannot resist error. Listen to Romans 1, 15 through 16. Paul, of course, Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel, and Paul never lived like he was ashamed of the gospel. You can see through and through in Paul's behavior, his actions, and his teaching, um, that's all he ever thought about. In Romans 1.15, he says, So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that mindset that we find within Paul is not normally the mindset you find of somebody who is spiritually struggling, spiritually weak. They normally are living like they are ashamed of the gospel. In so many areas we could go back and begin to... They're, they're maybe not attending worship on a regular basis. They're maybe not attending Bible study on a regular basis. They're not living in their life what the gospel tells them to do. So in so many ways they don't have this mindset where Paul does, where Paul, that's all he thought about, and that's what he was trying to do was be faithful. For those that are spiritually struggling, they're not doing this. They almost live like they're ashamed of the gospel. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the problems, and I go back to the person that, that I work with, 
They knew something was wrong in their life, but they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was. They were sick, but they didn't know. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, we have a lot of brethren who are spiritually sick or are struggling, and they don't know what the problem is. It's very, very similar. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Have you guys ever noticed that those who are spiritually weak are usually tossed to and fro? It's because they don't have a strong foundation. And because of that, they, they oftentimes can't stand their ground. They're tossed back and forth. In 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul says, "...holding faith and a good conscience," notice closely, "...which some have put away concerning faith have made shipwreck." Let me pause for a minute. Why have they made their faith a shipwreck? Well, it goes back to what he said in verse 19. They're not holding faith. And certainly if you're spiritually weak, that's what you're doing. You're not holding faith. In some regard... You are living and or opposing the will of God. He goes on and gives an example, verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here are Christians right here, he lists, that are spiritually weak, and they are in a very, very bad position. They're not just slightly struggling. They're actively living like this, uh, and Paul calls them out. Some are struggling with resisting temptation. Some have problems resisting error. Another part of the problem is, is they're weak in their appetite. And what I mean by that is they don't desire spiritual food. I think we will find if we go back and begin to look, and this is, a, this is a good question for each of us to ask, how much have we dug into the Word of God this week? How much spiritual appetite do you have? Are you thinking about spiritual things? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Many who are spiritually sick have no spiritual appetite, and, and it's seen. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be, feel, shall be filled. Right? We have to have appetite for the spiritual. If you go the entire week and the only time you read Bible passages is on Wednesday and Sunday, there's probably a spiritual problem in your life. Probably. You're, you're, not, thinking about, you're not thinking on a regular basis about improving your knowledge in the Word of God. And if you don't improve your knowledge in the Word of God, how can you live in a in a way that's in alignment with His will? That's a valid question for every one of us. Am I studying my Bible enough? 1 Peter 2.2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. How are you going to grow when you're not digging in deep into the Word? Now, I find it very interesting. We're talking about, um, and, and this person that I, I work with, they told me that they, they don't have very much of an appetite. At first, they knew they were sick. They didn't know what was going on, but they knew that they had a, this blood disorder. And the parallel is they have very little appetite. I asked them, as a matter of fact, on Friday, have you been eating very much? Well, I, I want to, but I can't. I have very little appetite. Here's what's interesting about Christians who are spiritually weak or spiritually anemic. They have a good appetite for things that are worldly, for all the activities that they're involved in, uh, but uh, they don't like a number of the things that the Bible emphasizes. They have no appetite for that. They have appetite for the worldly stuff, but no appetite for the spiritual stuff. And they don't desire strong meat. Listen to Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. And really, this is <laughs> if this was a description of you, you would hopefully realize right off the bat that Paul is trying to tell you, you are spiritually sick. 
He says, for when, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I wouldn't want to be described as one who ought to be in a position where I can teach others, and yet I need somebody to teach me again. Uh, there's, there's no growth taking place in that person's life. And that's a problem. Oftentimes, those who are spiritually weak, uh, they have a desire for everything else, but they don't have a desire for the things of God, the things of the church. They're not, they're not spending time studying. And to be honest, most of these people that are, fall into this position, and you wonder, people always ask, why did so-and-so leave the church? Part of the problem is, is they don't oftentimes want distinctive, specific book, chapter, verse preaching. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, because many who are spiritually sick, they don't want this. Paul says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Again, we had a number of problems within the first century with those who were struggling. And Paul makes it very clear that problem is going to continue. There will be those in the future that will also have this issue. They're going to turn away their ears from the truth. And usually, guys, it goes back to what I just mentioned a second ago. The spiritually weak are not interested in studying the Bible. They're not interested in faithfully attending uh, worship services. They're not interested oftentimes in studying or studying and coming for midweek Bible studies. Uh, and so they don't have much appetite for anything that, that uh, has to do with the church or studying. And they also are, we are weak in their spiritual exercise. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.8, and I'll have to point out a word here. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Let me pause for a second. The word there, crown, is stephanos. And it's not the crown of a king. It's actually the wreath that you used to see on the, the Greek games. If you look at the athletes that win, you know, they've got those like um, pine tree wreaths around their head. That's what that word is. The word crown there, Stephanos, is the crown or the wreath that the winner would get on his head at the Greek games. What an interesting word for Paul to use when he begins to talk about this word crown. Now remember, he talks about running the race, right? What's he trying to get us to understand? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This is for the one who wins. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day... Notice this, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. That crown is for the one who wins the physical contest. Paul's not talking about physical things. He's talking about spiritual things. This is the crown for the one that wins the spiritual contest. It's not for the weak. The strong one's the one that wins the Greek contest. The strong one here spiritually is the one that wins the spiritual contest. He's pointing out the difference between the strong and the weak. And here he says it's only the strong that win this crown. 
Listen to John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. You guys ever notice that the ones who... I'll give you an example. So I was, this is when I was young. I was over at my uh, friend's house, and you guys have seen the, you know, the, the dually wheels on the tractor. You guys know how big those are, right? They're big. Uh, usually it takes a couple guys to lift it back up on the tractor. I was talking to my friend, and his dad walked over, and he was like 55 or 60 at the time, didn't have a shirt on, we're out in the, out in the middle of the country, and he picks the wheel up by himself, and this guy is, he is shredded ripped, right? And I said, does your dad work out every day or something? He started laughing. He said, no, he works on the farm every day. Why am I saying? Have you guys ever noticed that people who work are strong? You don't think Christians have a spiritual work to be carrying out? Jesus says, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Guys, the weak Christians don't work at spiritual things. They work, at, they work maybe at their home. They work at their school stuff. They work at their secular jobs. They work at their hobbies. They work at the things they're into, but they don't work at the spiritual things. And as far as carrying out usually the work of the Lord, they don't do any of that. They, they, don't, they don't see the need for it or they don't have the desire for it. Again, visible signs, well... They may not be regular in attendance. They may always have a different excuse, right? They've always got a valid excuse, but it seems like they have an excuse maybe two or three times out of the month, right? And they're always gone. Um, they're not somebody that's trustworthy or reliable. They, they don't try to teach anybody outside of the church because they don't look at that as being part of their job. That's what the other people do. That's not what I do. Uh, they're spiritually weak uh, in a number of regards, even within their ability. Uh, when they're asked to do something, usually you'll hear them say something like, I can't, I can't do that, or somebody else can do that. Uh, that's not what you find from the strong. Remember I told you, within the body, you always find there are the weak and there are the strong. The weak say, I can't do it. And the strong say, I'll try. And I point that out because listen to Philippians 4.13. Now this passage gets used uh, out of context all the time. But here, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Again, we're, there's a focus on being strong. There's always a focus on the strong as opposed to the weak. And oftentimes the weak, they don't, they're not carrying out the work of the church because they, they, they don't think they can or they, under, they underestimate their ability. Part of that is because there are, there are always those within a congregation who don't challenge themselves when it comes to working on behalf of the congregation, learning something new, doing something new. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm one of those who I don't always like new things, but... If I can have someone teach me to where I'm out of my, you know, if I'm out of my comfort zone with something, if I can be taught to do it, eventually we get better at it, right? Well, the same problem is kind of oftentimes seen within the church. And that is a fact that many congregations struggle to get members to help in carrying out the work of the church. I'm not going to go into the works of the church because there's all kinds of stuff that we do within the church. We have formal worship gatherings, we have Bible study, teaching youth, teaching classes, we have things around the building taking place. All of that is being used in the carrying out the work of the church, right? And for a number of people, it's not that they can, it's that they just won't. It's not usually a matter of humility, it's oftentimes a matter of laziness, or even worse, they're not just spiritually lazy, they're literally, they're literally spiritually sick and they just don't want to be involved in it. Um, I'll be careful how I say this. So in my time within the church, I won't tell you when this has happened or where it has happened, I have seen specific individuals who are always, always the last ones in and the first ones out the door. Have you guys ever known someone who was like that without screaming their name out? First one in, 
or last one in, first one out. And oftentimes you can even tell just in your interaction when they don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. And they do not realize that they are sick and they don't even know it. Uh, and for most of us, we have seen it happen. And, in, and oftentimes, and even in that case that I'm thinking about, that person no longer comes to the church building that I know of. So how do we look at a person like that? That's a valid question. It's something that we need to think about. And again, I have to be a little careful when I approach this because I, I, I need to stay balanced, but I don't want to be misunderstood or have someone accuse me of something I'm not saying. What is the proper attitude towards somebody who is spiritually sick? Well, before we start to dig into that, let's just say this. Oftentimes when people are spiritually sick, they don't even know. They don't even know. Obviously, we're not to hate and or treat this person in a, in a harsh way. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. Let me finish before you start saying, I'm, don't, you're condoning this? No, I'm not. Let me finish. We're not to hate them. We're not to treat them. Christians are, not, are never to treat somebody in, in a horrible, hateful way, right? 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. It says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. We talked about church discipline earlier today. Listen very closely, though, verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There can be a person who is spiritually sick who doesn't even realize the, the extent of their spiritual sickness. And they may not even know that until you actually let them know. So I've, the idea of you know, inflicting church discipline on somebody uh, and, and them being totally shocked, that's a very unusual matter. But it's not unusual for a Christian to be struggling in some area and not see it within their own life. You could be sick and not realize that you're, you're sick. So one of the things we have to understand is, is obviously we're, we're not to count them as an enemy, although he does say we are to admonish him as a brother. Our goal is to save the weak and the erring. Now, if they're just weak and they're struggling in some area, that's an area oftentimes we can encourage and uplift and build and, and, and begin to give knowledge on. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. There's a lot that we could talk about regarding this verse. One of the things I find interesting about Paul is as educated as Paul was, and, and I do think you see that within his writings, but as educated as Paul was, Paul could adapt to whatever the situation it was to reach the target audience he needed to reach. And I think there's, there's a lot that can be said about a person who can do that. A person who, who can reach to whatever, um, whatever background, whatever educational level someone is at. But the whole point with Paul here and him being able to do this was to have a goal to either teach someone the gospel and or to restore someone. You know, it's, it's interesting that even when Paul was dealing with the Corinthians, Paul would oftentimes write and in the letter to the congregation, he would give a bunch of the things that were so wonderful about his brothers there at that congregation. And then he would actually come back and say, but you guys are struggling right here and here and here. Paul oftentimes would build them up before he came back to correct. Imagine how that would affect someone when we know they're struggling spiritually and we can, we can give them a few areas that they're doing well in 
while at the same time letting them realize there's some areas they're not doing well in. A lot of this is based on approach. If somebody is spiritually sick, we have to think a little bit about how it is that we're going to approach that person. Listen to Galatians 6.1. Paul says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, listen carefully, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If you were spiritually sick, or if you're here right now and you're spiritually weak and you're struggling, how would you like someone to come and to approach you to either one, let you know about it, or two, to help you out? Smacking you in the head with a brick isn't going to help. That's not the best approach. And yet, I've seen people do that with book, chapter, and verse. I, if I'm going to be honest, I've probably done it. Right? This guy's struggling. Bam! Let me give him all the verses, right? Did that help? Probably not. Uh, I think we learn a little bit. It'd been better if maybe I'd have gone back and looked at Paul's approach. Was Paul sometimes dead strong and he had to take that approach? Yes, he did sometimes. Was that his approach every time? No. No, I think there was a lot of wisdom in there. Listen to Romans 15.1. Again, you go back. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, let me go back and put this in context before I get accused of it. Yes, Paul here is dealing with scruples. He's dealing with those who are weak based on matters of conscience. But I want you to also realize that those who are spiritually weak, they need the spiritually strong to have the mindset, just like in this case, that our, our approach is extremely important. Okay? I, have seen, I have seen brethren, because somebody was struggling and, and not living as they ought, as they were trying to correct the situation, actually make it a whole lot worse because the way they approached it was so harsh and offensive, there, there was really nothing for the person other than then to leave. Uh, how many in here just love to be told you're, you're not living the way you ought to live? <laughs> Do you guys like that? You like your spouse to come and tell you that you're falling short and you're not that you're not, but does any one of us like that? No, we don't. So there's a way we, we might be able to go about that, and Paul knew some of that. Am I saying we should just tolerate their spiritual sickness or their, their spiritual anemia? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Each of, us, each of us could be gone tomorrow. So do we want to leave somebody in a position where they could die tonight being spiritually sick, literally being separated from Christ? Uh, I don't think so. So because of that, we need to understand that while we bear with them, it's also our duty to admonish them. Paul actually admonished the weak to get strong. And I really think that's probably the approach for somebody who's spiritually sick. Let's admonish them to get stronger, to do better. That might be a little more effective than just hammering, hammering, and hammering on that person uh, without trying to uplift and encourage. Okay, Listen to Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I wonder why he's telling the church in Ephesus this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. Let me pause for a minute. You don't think those who are spiritually sick, you don't think they've fallen to some of these schemes of the devil? Of course they have. And they may, again, they may not even know it. Now, they may know it, and they may be willfully doing it, and that approach is going to be much stronger for a person like that. He goes on, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
And wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Shouldn't that really be our message right there to the spiritually weak? Paul says, you, you guys need to be strong in the Lord. Here's what you need to do. Now, we've actually studied this passage in great detail. There's a lot involved in this. But isn't, isn't that really probably the message that we ought to be giving to those who are spiritually struggling, the spiritually weak? Paul here, as he's talking about being strong, goes into a, a, a number of things that they need to do. And as we do that, though, we have to think of the other side, which is this. How do we get a person who is spiritually weak, who is spiritually struggling, to realize that Peter's warning most likely applies to them? Listen to 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. Because if they understood this, they might, be a lot more, uh, they might be a lot more desirous of doing what Paul says. Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Let me pause for a second. This, this person is extremely spiritually sick. They are to the point where they have literally left the church and gone back into the world. Okay, They're, they're again, living worldly things. They're not interested in church things. This, this could be a person who either is going to have church discipline inflicted and or it could be one who's already had it done. Uh, it could be on either side. It depends how, on how quick their departure was from the church. He says in verse 22, or sorry, verse 21, For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Our goal for the spiritually sick is to get a hold of them and to let them realize that they have a problem before it ever gets to this point. Right? It's to keep that from ever happening. We all struggle. We all have times when we do much better than others. And there are times when we need someone to come in to, in to really encourage us and uplift us. But at the same point, we want, to, we want to do that before it gets to this point. And yet, there are those who have done this. We're told to you know, admonish them, but treat them as a brother. And the reason is, is we want them to come back and we want them to be faithful again. Matter of fact, we just looked at, you know, um, one of the congregations there in Revelation. Notice what Jesus tells the Ephesians in Revelation 2.4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You don't think that a person who is spiritually sick in some way has left their first love? They've had to have. Otherwise, they wouldn't be spiritually sick. They wouldn't be spiritually struggling. What I learn here as Jesus tells them this is that areas of weakness need to be pointed out because it can't be corrected if they don't know. Now again, there are some that willfully sin and they know it, but there are others that don't. Again, as you begin to talk about how we interact with those who are, are spiritually sick, we talk about mutual edification. Now it's interesting, when you talk about edification, 
Edification isn't normally thought about something regarding those spiritually sick. Um, usually it's just thought about uplifting the congregation. Here's the definition of edification. It's improvement, instruction, or enlightenment. Do you guys think that would include the way that we deal with somebody who's spiritually sick? How are you going to make a spiritually sick person spiritually strong? Through improvement, instruction, enlightening them as to what, one, their problem is, but two, what the Scriptures teach about how to correct it. With all that being said, what is the Lord's attitude toward the weak Christian? Again, let me finish this point before I get accused of something. Does he understand it? Yeah. Uh, Jesus, Jesus lived as a man on this earth, and he dealt with all the things that we dealt with without sin. He also understands that we start off as babes. Listen to John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We understand that as Christians, there is a point where we are a babe in Christ. And for anybody who is here, you know that as soon as you became a Christian, there's all kinds of things you did not know. And there were all kinds of things you probably did not do correct. Okay? But here's the thing. Babes need to begin to learn. That's why Peter again says in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. There has to be a point at which uh, you begin to grow, and it ought to be fairly quick. Remember when Paul says, you guys ought to be teaching, but i got to come back and teach you again. Right? So, yes, he understands that we start off as babes in Christ, uh, and he understands that it does take time to, to become stronger and to have knowledge, but after a time, spiritual weakness is sin, and it is actually inexcusable. And when I say that, what I mean is, is you begin to talk about spiritual sickness, it is considered wickedness. Listen to, again, Revelation 3.17. We looked at this passage. This, is, this, is a, this was a congregation of those, and some would say, well, they weren't really that bad. I mean, they were lukewarm, and they had some problems. But, I mean, you're going to say this is wickedness? Listen to Revelation 3.17. Jesus says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, these guys are spiritually sick, but it's interesting. He goes down just a few verses later in verse 19, and he says, You, you need to repent. You need to repent. So when a person can't realize that they're in this position, they also don't realize, like we find here, in context. They're living as if they don't need God. They've literally become blind. And why is this so bad? Well, there's a few different reasons. One, unlike a physical illness, this is, this is willful. And if it's not willful, then it's, they're doing it unknowingly. However, they're still doing it, and they still have to correct it. And it's not like physical sickness. They usually know. And if they don't know, somebody needs to tell them, Here's the other thing, and this is true, it is contagious. It's contagious within congregations. It's contagious oftentimes within families, contagious between person to person. And here's the really sad part, and here's why it needs to be corrected. Yeah, he understands that we're babes in Christ, and yet there's that expectation that we're going to grow. The reason it's considered wickedness is if I am in this position and I die in this position, 
I die living in a position where I'm opposed to the will of God, whether it's straightly through action, through thought, whatever that might be, I can't, I can't expect to inherit my, my heavenly reward when I'm opposed and living opposed to the will of God. And so it is a great concern for those that are struggling spiritually, that are spiritually weak. One, that we ought to be keeping an eye open for it. And I know that that's oftentimes easier said than done. Right? There, uh, I'll use something extreme so I'm not accused. I mean, I have no way of knowing if Larry's, uh, Larry Sr. back here, I have no way of knowing if his weekend activity includes cutting off catalytic converters to make a little extra money on the side. Right? I, don't, I wouldn't know that. I mean, I know that's an extreme thing, but I'm just, I'm just saying. If, if thieving and stealing catalytic converters is Larry's thing, how would I know that? So sometimes, he's shaking his head. <laughs> We're going to talk about that, Larry. Uh, sometimes we don't know. However, if, if I see him buying tons of new things and I'm wondering where all this extra cash is coming in, maybe there's signs. I say, we, I say we have to look for those types of things because sometimes, I'll be honest, people who are struggling, they don't usually struggle in front of you. And I think it was Holly last week that talked about it. We've said it before. There's often times where we all come into church, we have our church face on where everything's just perfect, and it's not. And it's because we're struggling, whether we're struggling with family issues, struggling with marriage issues, struggling with personal sin issues. And we, we oftentimes keep that hidden. We need to look for those as we can, but we can't oftentimes know. And that's why let's turn it back around to us individually and say, you're sitting here right now. If you can't be honest to the rest of us here and let us know that you're struggling, can you at least be honest enough to yourself to say, yes, I'm struggling with this sin issue or that sin issue or that sin issue, and I need to get that corrected. You need to get that corrected. What's, this, what's the cure if you're spiritually sick? And if you're willing here to, to admit to the fact that you've got an issue, the first thing is to repent. We could go back and look at the account with Simon the sorcerer. He had just become a Christian. Uh, we see that he sins almost immediately after. Yeah, that's not uncommon. And notice what he's told in Acts 8.22. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. You, if you're spiritually weak and you want to get strong, repent of whatever it is that's making you weak, and you will be able to start to get strong. Israel was actually told that repentance brings blessings. Listen to Hosea 14.4. I, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. It starts off with repentance. Uh, if you know somebody who's struggling, you need to let them know what that issue is so they can repent of it. If it's you personally and you're willing to admit it, you need to repent of it, and then you need to have a life that's full of repentance as you fall short uh, and continuing to be faithful knowing that His blood will continue to cleanse you. Listen to 1 John 1, 5-7. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, if we're spiritually sick, He says, We lie and do not the truth. You can't claim to have fellowship with God and Christ, and yet live the complete opposite. You can't say that you're healthy, but you live like you're sick. He says if you do that, you're not doing the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light, this is where the repentance comes from, and you begin to live faithful again. As He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us 
from all sin. No, I haven't heard anything about anybody in this congregation. So I'm not preaching about one of you. I'm preaching to every one of us, including myself. There are times where we may struggle with spiritual sickness. We may, we may not be doing as well as we should. One, I'm urging that we as a body always look for maybe people who are struggling for, in some area. Uh, but also turn that back around and point the finger at ourselves and say, am I struggling? Do I, have a, do I have an unknown sin that nobody here knows about? Because if I do, I need to look at getting, getting that uh, under control. I need to repent of it. I need to, I need to be faithful again. That may mean that you need, he may need some advice and or help from a brother or sister in Christ. Or it may be that you can sit down and you can read the scriptures and say, okay, this is what I need to do. You can take care of it and again, be faithful. But I would say this, in whatever situation, if you know someone that's struggling or if you yourself are struggling, we need to get that under control. And as I draw this to a close, I will say this. If you are here or if you're watching this online and you are not a follower of Christ, you're not a baptized believer, you are spiritually sick and you may not even know it. You are spiritually sick. You cannot be spiritually healthy unless you have a relationship with Christ. And the way that that starts within our scriptures, as we find in every conversion account, was somebody hearing the gospel, who Jesus was and why He came. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They had faith in Him, Hebrews 11, 6. We find that they repented of their sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5, Acts 17, 30. They confessed Christ as the Messiah, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And in every account, they were immersed in water for their remission of sins. That's how they came into contact with the blood. Now, if you remember how we started off this sermon, uh, spiritual anemia, it's a problem with blood, same as physical anemia is a problem with blood. We come, we come into contact with that blood of Christ through baptism. It's the blood that I just showed you continues to cleanse us. And if you're living as an unfaithful Christian right now, or if you're not a Christian, you have a problem with the blood. And if you die in that situation, as much as I hate to say it, you're not going to heaven. So as I draw this to a close, if there's a way that we can assist anyone here, whether it's uh, to pray on your behalf or some other spiritual need, uh, or if you're watching this and, and uh, you don't know how to become a Christian, contact us or reach out and we'll get you in touch with somebody or we'll study with you. But if there's a way that we can assist you in any way, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.